Dear friends, my name is John Bergen, and you're listening to The Word is Resistance. It seems like for the past six weeks, I've been having the same conversation in a dozen different ways with a dozen different people. The same themes and questions keep coming up again and again. Sitting on a porch with my friend watching a rainstorm a few weeks ago, she asked me, look, be honest with me, what do you think is the best outcome we can hope for if we fight against climate destruction? What is the best possible world we can imagine in the next 100 years? I stumbled through an answer about how the future is unknown, how it remains to be written, and how our campaigns and actions and organizing right now can make a difference in what world our children inherit. I believe this. I think it is true spiritually and intellectually and certainly morally. But she was unimpressed. But really, she said, are, are corporations and governments going to change? Will they stop poisoning the planet fast enough that there can be some semblance of this current world we live in left? And now she was really getting started. And even more than that, is there some version of this world that can be sustainable? Is there a world where you can go visit your grandmother in Canada or eat food that isn't grown locally? Will there be cities in 100 years? What does our best possible future honestly look like? Oof. And then a few days later, at drinks downtown for another friend's birthday, someone had the same thought. They said, maybe we can't have all of this and still have a livable world. Maybe we don't deserve all of this. And again, at a church event the next week, people reflecting on the burning of the Amazon rainforest, people wrestling with their engagement with the youth climate strikes, recovering from the boiling hot summer that killed people across the world, watching the devastation in the Bahamas, sending their kids back to school in unair-conditioned classrooms with lead pipes and lead paint and asbestos in the walls, or considering having kids, trying to pay bills, looking at the ticking clock. So many people in this moment asking the same question, trying to wrestle with their responsibility, their grief, their humanity, what it means to imagine, but also to internalize that imagination so deeply that we live it into being. Grieving what we know we will lose without giving up on what we can still hold on to. Knowing that the future will not be the same for all of us, that disability, chronic illness, class, race, citizenship, incarceration, sexuality, gender identity, family status, and the cruel twists of fate and chance will tip the scales on who lives and who dies before their time. Remembering here Gustavo Gutierrez's definition that poverty is dying before your time. Remembering and knowing and wrestling and imagining and grieving and struggling to answer this question, what is the best possible new world we can build up? Realistically, honestly, no BS. Welcome to The Word is Resistance. In this podcast, we ask, what do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation?
The music you heard is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding, We Are Building Up a New World. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for the podcast. And this podcast is a project of Surge Faith and Surge Action. Surge, or Showing Up for Racial Justice, organizes white people to take bold action against white supremacy. This podcast aims to resource us in that work, which means it is for everyone but geared towards white people working to build our resistance muscles. We welcome your feedback and especially appreciate feedback from and accountability to listeners of color. Hear now these words from Jeremiah 8, 18 through chapter 9, verse 1. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not with her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? They say the harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The lectionary has spent the past couple of months sifting through the prophet Jeremiah, a dark and intense and passionate book, a crying out. Jeremiah is (laughs) is hard reading. He condemns his community, he mourns them, he pleads with them, he rages at leaders and regular people, and Jeremiah is also an intense person. He does weird stuff, like wearing, burying, and then digging up his underwear, or smashing a clay jug in front of the religious leaders of Jerusalem, or wearing an ox yoke around. For millennia, people haven't been sure quite what to do with Jeremiah. When local shepherds discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Qumran Caves in the 1940s, they found more than one different version of the book of Jeremiah. It seems that even within this one community, they couldn't agree on what to do with Jeremiah, so they kept a few of him around to address their different needs. Personally, I might opt for less Jeremiah instead of more, but this community... They wanted more Jeremiah. The writers of the Dead Sea Scrolls were probably, but not certainly, an intense group known as the Essenes, who believed that separating themselves from the world and living lives of charity and religious purity would bring about the salvation of the Israelite people. The Essenes, living in desert caves just north of the Dead Sea, lived in a time of military occupation, of daily attacks on the people and land. It was a time of apocalyptic visions and messiahs. Jesus was not the only itinerant preacher roaming the countryside claiming to be a prophet, or worse, 
to be the son of God. Every generation saw an uprising of the rural or urban poor, prophetic poor people's movements that were almost inevitably crushed by Roman troops. And each crushing brought further restrictions on the practice of that dangerous, rebellious religion centered in Jerusalem. The Romans tolerated lots of religions just fine as long as the practitioners didn't wage war on the empire. As the uprisings and repression escalated, as the religious and political tensions heightened and the end seemed nearer and nearer, it is little wonder that some communities went back to the land to read Jeremiah, cleanse themselves, and live lives of simplicity. It is little wonder that an itinerant preacher from Galilee would skewer the owning class with a parable about dishonest managers and finish the story with this warning to his base community. No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. A few centuries later, as the Roman Empire collapsed around them, tens of thousands of people of all class backgrounds would flee to the Egyptian desert to do the same. And centuries before, a prophet begged his people to turn and face themselves. Earlier in the chapter of Jeremiah, he writes, They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. They acted shamefully. They committed abomination, yet they are not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall at the time when I punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. When I wanted to gather them, says the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered. And what I gave them has passed away from them. Why do we sit still? Gather together, let us go into the fortified cities and perish there. For the Lord our God has doomed us to perish and has given us poisoned water to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We look for peace, but find no good. For a time of healing, but there is terror instead. The snorting of their horses is heard from Dan. At the sound of the neighing of their stallions, the whole land quakes. They come and devour the land and all that fills it, the city and those who live in it. See, I am letting snakes loose among you, adders that cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. Maybe those around him called him too emotional. Maybe his friends tried to gently tell him he was carrying too much of the weight of the world. Maybe they said, look, you, you've got to meet people where they're at. But by the end of the book, Jerusalem has fallen, the elite have been taken to Babylon, and Jeremiah is in exile in Egypt. Now here in this podcast, I was going to do a deep dive into the existential threats facing our communities today, rattle off a list of places and crises. But I don't need to. That's called depressing the choir, and we already know deep in our bones that we face an existential crisis. One more story. I was talking with a friend 
who is incarcerated, a committed black revolutionary, I asked him if he saw a difference between safety and liberation as organizing frameworks, which is, that's a question I borrowed from someone else in my life. And I said, some people are worried about safety, but safety for whom, from whom, shouldn't we always be organizing from a place of liberation? He sat back and he considered this. Yeah, he said, those are usually different ideas. Black liberation involves safety, but it isn't safety at the expense of others or necessarily permanent exclusion from others. But, he said, all of this changes in the face of climate change. He told me, I'm not even focused purely on getting out of prison or on abolishing prison. That feels a bit like arguing over who gets what bedroom in the house when the tidal wave is coming. I'm interested in building economic connections and self-sufficiency so my community can survive whatever is coming. We won't attain liberation without building up our capacity to keep each other safe. And that means being realistic about what climate change will do to the world and what we need to do to have food, water, shelter, protection, community, and solidarity with others. Black people having those things remains a liberatory demand. And it will be everyone's demand in the age of climate devastation. So it's necessary to get started now. The harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. I still deeply believe that we can shape our future, that we need to be organizing to take and shape political power, to shift off of fossil fuels and create whatever sustainable infrastructure we can. And we need to keep doing this organizing as things get worse and worse. The future is not lost. Our descendants, our children are not lost, but their world and our world remains a place of uncertainty and apocalypse. weekend is the youth climate strike, a massive movement led by young people around the world. In some places, youth will gather with the support of their teachers, administrators, or government officials. In some places, youth will gather alongside unions, faith communities, and community organizations. In some places, the strikes will be sanctioned by police. And in some places, none of these things will be true, and youth will gather and strike anyway. These youth are learning by doing, stepping up to plan actions because they believe that action can shape the future. Their future is on the line. Earlier this week, I was on the phone with a young person in my city who said, I don't really know how to plan an action for a thousand people, but we're going to have one, and I need to learn how to do it. Also here in Philly, a 13-year-old has started a sunrise chapter in northwest Philly because, well, because action is needed. No one is waiting to learn how to do everything before diving in. They are weighing the cost of inaction and recognizing that action is needed, that while the future will be much worse, it is not lost. Like generations who have faced apocalypse before them, young people today and people of all ages are gathering together to forge community. They know that together we are stronger, 
even if the storm we face will be brutal. So today I want to leave you with a resource you can use as a personal call to action or a reflection or as an activity for a group you are involved with. And I learned this in a strategy session led by Yotam Marome from Wildfire Project. So you begin with two pieces of paper and some drawing implements of some kind. On one, draw what the world will look like if our movements or your specific campaign wins. On the other, draw what the world will look like if you lose. After you have taken time to do this, tape them up on opposite sides of the room. Spend time looking at them, considering what is winnable and what is not. If you do this in a group, have them notice what these worlds look like. Reflect on this, on what is at stake, honestly, truly. Thank you for joining me today. As always, let us know how it goes by commenting on our Facebook page or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you're using. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search for The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts are available on our website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. And as always, thank you to our sound editor who this week is Matt. Thank you. Blessings to all of you as you continue in the work of being transformed, of transforming the movement, and transforming the world. Go in peace. Shine, yeah.